Hey, you found us. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast. I'm Ben Glickson with my tag team partner, Matt Story. And even though I'm watching BattleBots, I'm prepared to talk about sports. That's right. That's right. Yes. Uh, as we were discussing before you pushed the record button, you know, we're in, we're in the time of year. The hockey and basketball playoffs are over. Football is still a couple months away. And so it's, it's baseball and that's about it. Uh, and we're not into the meat of, you know, the, the heart of the baseball playoff races or anything, but there's still plenty to talk about as there always is. And, and it's, it's basketball. that's kind of, uh, as we've discussed the last few times we've talked, this was the time of year people were looking forward to. And here we are. So it is June 19th. And since the season has ended, uh, Anthony Davis has been traded, maybe effective July 6th, maybe effective yeah, July we'll 30th. See. We'll see, um, yes, yes. Mike Conley has been dealt to the West as well. Yep. And uh, I suppose we should also mention that the Toronto Raptors won the NBA title. Yes, we should. <laughs> I, I was going to say, you know, as I said, you know, people have been looking forward to this time of year. Well, a lot of that was because, you know, the general attitude was – well, the Warriors are going to win the title and, you know, get me to free agency. Well, it didn't happen. Um, you know, you've got to still play the games and, and things happen and guys get injured and, uh, and, and the Raptors played really well. And, I, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll own it. Uh, two or three weeks ago when we talked, I, I said I thought the Raptors maybe would win a game. I think you had it maybe going six, but we, we both had it being, uh, you know, fairly easy to predict the winner and it was not they they played well and they were the better team they they really probably should have won the series in five or maybe even four if you I mean game two they let slip away uh, you know they they certainly earned it and deserved it it was an incredible turn of events from what people were expecting I'm, it really was i'm yeah. curious how you think history will look back on it i assume it will be Either Kawhi load management carried yeah. them; they did everything exactly right to be in a position to play, compared to what we saw in Golden State with seventy-two hours apart. Their yeah. best and third best player goes down with a significant ligament tear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean it. A number of things. I mean, you know, uh, Will Bond hit on this point a fair amount over the course of the season and in the playoffs that, you know, it's it's tough going that deep into the playoffs year after year after year after year. There's a there's a mental fatigue. There's certainly a physical fatigue. Um, and, and maybe it did finally catch up to them. Um, you know, to me, the series this reminded me of, and it's the one that I always remember as being just stunned by even all the way to the bitter end was 2004 when the Pistons beat the Lakers. Mm-hmm. And you could make some, some decent comparisons because the Lakers had, you know, they, they hadn't won, they hadn't won the year before, but they had won three in a row prior to that 2000 to 2002. They'd added Malone and Peyton who were still, you know, they weren't in their prime, but they were still really good at that time of their careers. And it was supposed to be a cakewalk. They were just, they were going to roll over the NBA set records, easily win a title. And it never really was. They got to the finals anyway, but it never really was as smooth as it was supposed to be. And and that was the case with this warrior season. I mean, they, 
they never really rolled. They had stretches through the year where they, they slumped. Um, and, and, you know, but then they, you know, it was, ah, oh, they're going to figure it out. They're going to figure it out. Don't worry. And they did to the tune of getting to the finals, but then they ran into a team where I think the, you know, the sum was greater than the parts, much like that old four Pistons team. Uh, and that was not what the Warriors were anymore. No. And I think there is something to playing that deep every year. And when yeah. you have a guy like Clay Thompson who, you know, tore the ligament and came back out to shoot the free throw, um, there's a level of toughness where that guy plays every game, hurt, not, what what have right. you, um, that when something like this happens, it's like, is that, as a fan now, just expectation level? If a guy plays that many consecutive games, he's bound to get hurt with something serious? I mean, possibly. You wonder about that, yeah, you know, and, and, uh, and, and in a sense, I mean, this doesn't even, this isn't provable, it's not scientific, but, you know, is it just... Is it just, you know, law of averages? I mean, let's not ignore the fact that they have benefited from opponent injuries on the way to their three titles. Now, they, they, they won those three titles, can't take them away. But 2015, they played the Cavs, and in game one, Kyrie Irving's knee explodes, and they get a, you know, and Love was already hurt. Uh, 2017, in the conference finals, Kawhi Leonard gets hurt in game one in a game that they're losing big. And 2018, Chris Paul gets hurt in Game Five when they're down three-two, and they come back. And you know, so those three years they won the title, they benefited directly from an opponent injury. You know, that's the way it is. Um, yeah, and, and I want to. I want to be clear. I'm taking nothing away from what the Raptors did because before Clay got hurt, they were dominating them. They were. Um, they were, and that that is one of those things that you know, it's it's always. I always kind of chuckle slash shake my head at perception and and i heard a lot you know so the, the series ended on on thursday night and friday i i had the day off because i was going to stay home and watch golf in the u.s open and so i watched a lot of the you know the morning stuff and you know it's oh well you know the warriors had two guys get hurt well that's that's not truly accurate i mean yes they did have two guys get hurt but clay thompson played four and three quarters games of six Durant, yeah, he missed most of the series. Okay, you know, he, he barely played. Um, but, you know, Thompson missed all of game three, and he missed the fourth quarter of game six. Yeah, you know, is that the difference in the series? I don't know. I mean, we'll never know if they could. Would they have won game three if Thompson had been healthy? Maybe, maybe not. Would they have won game six if he had stayed healthy? Maybe, maybe not. There's no, there's no way to know. Just as there's no way to know, could the Spurs have beaten the Warriors in 2017 if Leonard was healthy? No way to know. He wasn't. They got beat. Um, Does this prove that Pop was right, that but for the Pachulia step under, they would have won that series? (laughs) Say that again. I I lost you for just a sec there. Does Kawhi's performance prove Pop was right when he said we had them, you know, because they were, Um, you know. I mean – it, it doesn't prove it, but it certainly adds to the weight of it. You know, there's no way to prove it. I mean, you can't, you know, it's one of those Matt, things. Matt, this is not hot takey enough. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sorry, you know. I mean, there's just, there's no way to know. Uh, you know, he played three quarters uh, of, of game one, and they were up by 20-plus points. And certainly as a as a Spurs fan, that is one of those that, that looms in my mind as a what-if. Could they have, you know, could they have beat Golden State? Could they have won another title? 
no way to know. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, and I'll go back to two, what year was it? 2008. Um, similar situation. They were in the conference finals against the Lakers. They took a big lead in game one and not due to injury. They, they lost that lead and they ended up losing that series in five games. Um, so, you know, you just never know. I mean, the series could have turned around and they might've got beat anyway, but it doesn't, does it leave you wondering? Yeah. And, and certainly, you know, last year, Chris Paul getting injured when they seemingly had them on the ropes and, you know, barely lost game six and seven, a healthy Chris Paul, would that have made the difference? I think it probably would have, but that's the way it is. And you play with the guys you got. So that's, that's why I don't, you know, as you know, I don't like the Warriors. And so, you know, I have some bias here, but I don't want to hear any whining from Warriors fans about, oh, well, we had injuries. Injuries happen. And they played, again, direct roles in the three titles they won. And they played a role in, in this one that they didn't win. Let's talk about Kawhi Leonard and what he did in this series. Now, we are very quick to say that, you know, whatever the last thing we see in the playoffs will dictate how we sure. feel about the next year. I mean, last right, year right. when uh, the Pelicans destroyed the Blazers, it was, <laughs> boy, they are right where they want to be. Anthony Davis is in a great position. And the Blazers need to tear it down. Yeah, yeah. But after watching this, it, it feels like Kawhi, you know, has really reestablished himself as not just an elite level defensive player, but as an elite player, full stop. Oh, without question. Yeah. 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 I mean, he, he, uh, had already been doing that, you know, prior to the injuries in San Antonio and the, and the you know, but, weird, but the answering the bell after um, the, you know, but yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, he had a great year and he played, uh, you know, his, his first half of the playoffs were incredible. Um, that, you know, the, the efficiency and the numbers he were putting up in those first two series were amazing. Uh, you know, they, they tailed a bit in the last two series, but the team was good enough around him. And, and that's one of the underplayed things about this year, too. You mentioned the load management. You know, they were 17-5 and five in games he didn't play. So while he was very good, and certainly I don't think they win the title without him, this, this team was truly greater than its parts. I mean, I, it, it's, it's an odd team to assess because – do they have another player that's in the top 30, 40 of the league besides him? I'd probably say no. Do they have another sure thing Hall of Famer? I don't see one. Well, no, I, I'm not sure I would go there, but I, I think it's because Marc Gasol wasn't there the whole season. But I but I think Marc Gasol is a sure shot Hall of Famer. He might be Hall of Famer. I mean, that's the one I was thinking. He might be a Hall of Famer. Basketball is And, is and Lowry, too, at this point. Might be. Yeah, maybe. I mean, you know, but but it's it's um, you know, could it could it be in a sense the 2011 Mavericks, where you know they really had one guy in, in his prime like Dirk, and yeah, they had Jason Kidd, who's who's all a famer, but it was old Jason Kidd, mm-hmm. not prime Jason Kidd, you know, and Sean Marion, who may or may not be all a famer. I don't think he is, but he might be. Um, but you know, Dirk carried that team now. Uh, there's other examples of that. I mean, the 2003 Spurs, they had four total Hall of Famers, but Duncan was the only one that was really a Hall of Fame player at that point in his career. Parker was a rookie. Ginobili was in his second year, and Robinson was old. Uh, you know, so it's it's hard to assess. I, I think this team is probably a little bit like that team. Maybe at the maybe 15 years from now, we'll see that there are three Hall of Famers there. 
but this guy was the man. Uh, I mean, he, you know, without him, they're not close to this. And, and yet, like I said, they were able to survive without him playing great at times because they just had other guys step up, whether it was Danny Green or, or Pascal Siakam or Fred Van Vliet, who, you know, went from being a total no factor in round two to being, you know, a borderline MVP, you know, series MVP candidate. And besides Leonard, he's probably the second choice for finals MVP. Yeah. I think that you also have to give serious credit to Masai Ujiri. Um, yeah. You know, first the decision to get rid of the coach of the year and right. come with Nick Nurse, who did a, a fantastic job of getting buy-in on his, you know, crazy rotations in games uh, for yeah. when yeah. people were going to sit and for how long. And, you know, the the defensive strategy to – to pull out a box in one and a triangle in two. Yeah, 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 which was great. Uh, and and absolutely killed me that people were criticizing that. Like, that's called coaching. I, I just sometimes I think people have to, like, knock things just to knock things. Like, oh, that's a that's a gimmicky defense. No, it's called coaching. I mean, it, you know, it, it, and, and it worked. Yeah, I mean, they it, didn't win the game, but it got them back in that game. Well, and the thing is, when you can throw that wrinkle, it's – we talk about uh, – Jimmy V did that when they right. were playing Houston. He went triangle and two and put both guys on Samson. Yeah. And said, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, here's what we're going to do. We're going to leave someone open because right. we're not going to let that guy beat us. And Nick Nurse said, we're not going to let Curry beat us. Yeah. Yeah. And it worked in that game. And that was when Thompson got hurt at the end of the game. And Durant obviously was out at that point of the series. And, uh, you know, it got them back in the game. If they could have made some shots down the stretch, they would have won that game. Yeah, because um, they played really good defense over that last you know five six it, minute stretch. It's um, the 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 people who criticize that move as you know unsportsmanlike are the same people who are critical in a two run game in a no hitter dropping down a bunt. Yeah, it, yeah. You know, if right. if you yeah. have the chance to bring the tying run to the plate, you yeah. drop down the bunt. I'm, I I believe that the game's about winning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, like I, I suppose I'd go along with with some criticism of that if it was like, oh, they're you know they're up by thirty points and you know Curry's got forty six and they're trying to get him from fifty or keep him from you know then I'm like, okay, oh, that's a little gimmicky. But but even then, like I, I don't know that I'd still really buy it because it's defense, like a, a box and one man. I mean, uh, you know, I. We, we practiced a box of one when I was in fifth grade playing basketball for St. Peter and Paul. I mean, this is, this is not something that, you know, is like, oh, boy, what kind of weird gimmick is that? No, it's called defense. It's, it's called mixing a zone and man, which worked extremely well. Yeah. But, you know, so Ujiri does that. And then he pulls off yeah. the DeRozan-Leonard trade where he gets Danny Green as part yeah. of the deal, who was also a key cog in this title yeah. run. He was, he was, and not the first time he has been. I mean, you know, uh, I don't know that he would have ultimately won, but, Dan, you know, through three games of the 2013 finals, Danny Green was the finals MVP and would have had a reasonable argument for it if they had won that series in six. Um, you know, if the Spurs had won that series, that ultimately the Heat came back to win. Danny Green was really good that series. Uh, probably wouldn't have won it because they had bigger name players, but, yeah, he's, he's a guy who you know off topic here who would have ever guessed and now i think it's an obvious answer that danny green would be the best nba player of that 2009 north carolina team 
and I don't think it's really close. Yeah, no, that's that is an excellent point. And they had, I think, three top twenty picks out of that. I mean, Tyler Hansbrough and and Ty Lawson and Wayne Ellington, mm-hmm. who all had varying degrees of success in the NBA. But I would say easily, Danny Green's had the best career, which is a is a stunner. Yeah. And then the last guy is Gasol, which to me the yeah. the anecdote that explains all of this was something I heard. I think it was Zach Lowe brought up, which is they acquired Gasol, and he's not the Mark Gasol of old. He's old Mark Gasol now, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. but he came in and and they were trying to explain their defensive system to him and the rotations and. And the way they do coverages, and and he just was sitting there like, yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it. It's not, and it was absolutely right. He got it. He knew what he was like. He came in. They did not miss a beat on any of their schemes. Yeah, you know. Yeah, no. I mean, you know, he obviously had some great years in Memphis, and they were always a good defensive team, and so he brought that. And he's he won Defensive Player of the Year there. He did. He did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a good move. They they. uh, you know, it's it's obviously we look at the team that won the title, and it's like, boy, every one of their moves came up great. Well, yeah, they won the title, but I mean, he, you know, a variety of of both big and little moves. Obviously, like you mentioned, coaching change, swing in the Leonard trade; those are the headliners. But you know, the the Gasol addition, the you know, drafted uh, Pascal Siakam two or three years ago. When, yeah, taking Serge you know, Ibaka off of the scrap heap yes, when people were talking yes, about him being done. You know, uh, I mean, Van Vliet was a was a rookie free agent mm-hmm. who you know was the I mean you know he won cliche, the uh, G League title. Yeah, you know was the last guy to make the roster, and they kept him as a as a free agent this off season. When you know they could have easily just sent him packing and got somebody else, and he turns out to be a huge part of that in the finals and conference finals too. And so, yeah, I mean the the little things, and you know we're probably gonna discuss it obviously you know everybody pays attention to you know how many stars you got yeah can you get this guy this guy this guy and and certainly that matters you know does golden state win their titles without kevin durant the last two years probably not but they also got contributions from guys like sean livingston and and you know andrew bogut who yes was a former number one pick but certainly isn't that type of player anymore. he was also playing Uh, in australia Right, you know, and, and guys who, who played little roles, they didn't have as much of that this year. Now, they almost still won the title anyway. So, you know, I don't want to just judge result and say, well, see what happened. I mean, they, they were two wins away from winning another championship. But that was the thing that last year and then certainly this year, their their depth and their bench got worse um, because more and more of their resources had to go to their starters and their stars. And they didn't they didn't have the the ability to withstand, you know, a key injury as well as they maybe did the year before, the year before that. Um, now, again, I don't want to cry any tears for gold. You know, this this notion that Golden State without Durant, you know, oh, they were like a G League team. No, they had four former All Stars. Like they, they still had plenty of talent that was that was playing and healthy. Um, but you know, certainly they didn't have the depth that they had in the past. That you know, but that's that's the sacrifice you make when you pay that many big name guys. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about some other all stars and some off season stuff. So, um, Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant, both free agents. Um, the expectation from everything I'm hearing is that they'll both be back. Um, Thompson, at least uh, the Durant thing uh, that seems to like depends on who you read and, and what time of day it is. 
you know, it's like some some think, well, he'll come back. Some think nothing's changed. I don't know. He's a hard guy to get a read on, it seems like. And then uh, going out east, you've got Kyrie is leaving Boston, and now reports are that Al Horford not just is opting out, but is not planning on returning. Not coming back. Yeah, that, that changed over the course of yesterday. The initial, you know, oh, he's opting out, but he's going to work out a new deal with Boston. And then by, you know, eight hours later, it's like, well, no progress on a new deal. He's prepared to go elsewhere, and they're prepared to move on. Like, well, yeah. I mean, this is this is why this time of year excites us because it's like, what you know, there's always some new thing happening. Well, and everyone thought that you know Horford was trying to play the long game because he he wasn't going to make the same base salary next year, but right. that he could get a two three year deal with Boston. Right, and it became clear, I guess, from the reporting that. At some point, Horford found out he could get a four-year deal somewhere else. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's it's uh, one of those things. I know, you know, the initial reaction to yesterday was Horford and Harrison Barnes. You know, oh, they're opting out of that much money. What are they doing? Well, yeah, they may not get that much money year one, but can they get a, a three to four-year deal where maybe year one is is three three to five million less, but you add you know three more years on top of that. That's why these guys do it. I mean, you know, every now and again it backfires on them. It has where, you know, a guy opts out and he ends up taking a bargain basement deal. But more often than not, they have a pretty good feeling that they're going to make up that money. Even if not in year one, they're going to get it in the next three years. Yeah. Um, And I think it's pretty clear Kyrie's going to uh, Brooklyn. That seems to be the presumption, yeah, yeah. But again, just as we talked about with Al Horford, could you, you know, given his uh, past and given that nothing is, is is a sure thing at all this time of year, would you be surprised if tomorrow there was a report that, you know, eh, he's souring on Brooklyn, now he's going to go to the Lakers. Or, the, I mean, or it, you know, the Knicks. Or the Knicks, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, you know, that's, the, that's the fun of this time of year is for the next about 10 to 11 days – Nothing can be done for sure, and so every report you hear, you just kind of wait and see. Eh, let's see if in six hours this report changes. And I really think the turning point of that was uh, DeAndre Jordan. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. It was yes. done. He was there, and then he was locked <laughs> in a room, done. not allowed right. to leave. <laughs> right, yeah. So, you know, and Kyrie has been notably uh, flighty, you know, from, from his, you know, all of a sudden desire to leave Cleveland after they'd made the finals three years in a row um, to, you know, I'm staying in Boston to now he doesn't want to stay in Boston. I mean, he's, he's a guy who doesn't seem easily satisfied. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, Kornheiser has called him one of the most miserable people in, you know, in sports. And that's not necessarily a, a, you know, a bad label given what we've seen from him Durant the same way. They always seem to be miserable. Um, And so that's why it's hard projecting where they're going to go because, they always seem to have some complaints about something. Yeah. And yeah. then, of course, you got Leonard, and him, he's a free agent, and, and he gives you nothing. Uh, you know, anybody who claims they have a, a beat on him, I think, is just guessing. Yeah. It, it's certainly going to make for an interesting couple of weeks. Um, it is. It is, yeah. I mean, yeah. obviously, the, the, you know, the, the headline item, as you mentioned, is Anthony Davis going to the Lakers, which now has ratcheted up. Can they add another of these marquee free agents that Jimmy and, Butler? And, and not without the help of, uh, of Pelicans. the Pelicans, because yeah. 
yeah. <laughs> because apparently yeah. Rob Palinka didn't realize that the salary cap with the deal and uh, Anthony Davis's four million dollar trade kicker means that yeah. right now their yeah. current max contract is twenty three million unless the Pelicans are willing to right. help. And I, I don't see a reason based on how uh, the in season time right. went right. Right. why, why I mean, the ownership group, uh, the Benson family would want to do that, uh, especially when they've already now. got their deal. You know, I mean, the, the only thing, and, and they were talking about this on PTI yesterday is, you know, if you're the Pelicans, aren't you saying, hey, we'll do it, but let's sweeten this deal somehow. Oh Give yeah. Something like, more. But you do know? you want okay. Mo Wagner? Probably not. No. Um, you've you already, know, you've already got every first round pick they could possibly give you. They trade. Exactly. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough to come up with a way to sweeten the deal, but you know, teams are creative. Um, now the, the, the devil's advocate in me going back to what I was just saying about Toronto, you know, is if you're the Lakers, do you think, you know what, do we want to, I mean, yeah, it's tempting to go get Jimmy Butler. And I, I think Jimmy Butler's a heck of a player, but does one Jimmy Butler or do, can I use that 23, 25 million on maybe three guys that, that can play different roles and, and give me a more well-rounded team, a team with a little bit of depth. Um, because, you know, a three stars is great, but you got to have more than three guys to win an NBA title. Uh, you know, you've got to have supporting guys and, and, you know, you can't an NBA title team. Usually it's role players are not rookies. So yeah, they could get some rookies, but that's, you know, more likely you're looking at veterans. Uh, you know, I could see the argument for, Hey, you know, is, is Jimmy Butler or Kemba Walker good enough to overcome maybe being able to get three guys with that amount of money? Yeah, well, and, and I'm not sure it is. The, the The issue with the Lakers is they've got 23 million in space. Yeah. They've only got five guys under guaranteed contracts and a sixth guy under any sort of contract at all. Right, right. So, you know, they have they their, the roster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of that 23 million, there there needs to be, yeah. you know, now, six more guys. Automatically. Uh, once they get to the cap, obviously there's you know following the NBA cap is so hard. Uh, I mean, the only thing more confusing might be the NFL salary cap. But it, you know, once they get to it, then you can you know you get the, the exceptions and you get you know veteran minimum guys. I mean, they'll be able to fill out a roster. They're not actually going to go into the season with seven guys. Um, but yeah, I mean, how do you do it? Are you filling it out? Are you getting three stars and then a bunch of, of you know veteran minimum guys? I'm not sure that's the best recipe for a team that a, you know, one of those stars is LeBron, who I think is one of the greatest players ever, but showed his age last year a little bit missing, you know, 18, 20 games with an injury that maybe five years ago, he would have missed five games. Um, and he's only getting older. You know, he, he's not going to be 25 again. And Anthony Davis has been injury prone. I, I mean, I, again, I like Anthony Davis, hell of a player, but he's never played a full season. And he's missed large chunks of season with injuries. So, do I want to surround the, you know those two guys with a bunch of veteran minimum guys? I'm not sure that I do. I think I'd rather have a little bit more depth. It's an interesting predicament, but the West, with I mean, even if let's say the Warriors bring back Clay and KD and they get them, yeah. at least in the immediate next season, the 
you got to expect nothing from either of those guys. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think you're already seeing, you know, with, with Utah getting Mike Conley and, and the Lakers obviously making the move, and they, they were probably going to make a splash anyway. But, you know, you're definitely seeing that the mentality of, of teams in the West is, hey, let's go get it. We're not, we don't have to run scared of Golden State anymore. We don't know what they're going to be. And even if they do, as you said, bring back both of those guys, pretty good chance that they don't play all year or at least most of the year. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's there for the taking, um, you know, and, and certainly the pressure is going to be on the Lakers to win, and, the, and it, it should be. Um, but, I, you know, I do, I, you know, God, I was, and I realize, you know, sports talk radio is the, is the last place you should go to for, you know, insightful thoughts. But, you know, I'm listening to somebody on Saturday or Sunday morning. I was driving and they're talking about, you know, is this, is this like when the Warriors got Durant? Like, this isn't even close. The Warriors were a 73-win team that had three all-stars in their prime, and they added the second-best player in the game to that. And they had already won a title with that core. Right. They won a title, they've been to the finals, and they hurt the team that was probably their closest rival in the West by taking Durant. This is 100% different than that. This is a team that won less than 40 games last year that just had to trade you know, three significant players from that team to get this one player along with their top draft pick. So, you know, that's basically four guys who could have contributed next year for one player who has never, I mean, Anthony Davis is a really good player, but he's never been past the second round of the playoffs. So do I think this was a good move for them? Sure. I mean, I think it was a necessary move. They needed to do something and it could work great, but this is far from a sure thing. Like the Golden State Warriors adding Kevin Durant. This, I mean, you, this couldn't be any further away from that. Well, and the Lakers have pushed all of their chips into this LeBron contract. Yes. You know, yes. you've got two more seasons, potentially a third, and you got to win because you yeah. don't have picks anymore. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, the gamble that they made with this trade is that those, those future picks will be picks in the 20s. Because you're winning and you've got to, you know, Anthony Davis is your guy. And maybe, you know, by the time LeBron's gone, you've replaced, you're able to replace him with another superstar. And so those picks don't really matter. The gamble that the Pelicans took is it's not going to be that way. And we're going to get ourselves two good first round picks along with the fourth pick this year. Yeah. And those, ex- those picks are not contingent on Davis staying. Davis can still leave next year. Oh, yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, certainly that's the that's the gamble here for the Lakers is that, you know, he wants to be in L.A., and it seems as though he does. Um, and, you know, even though he's apparently set on playing out the year, that they will do enough to make it an obvious, you know, like what we're talking about with Clay Thompson, where, yeah, he's a free agent, but he's not going anywhere. He wants to stay. They want him. Everything's great. But those things can change. I mean, it, you know, Kyrie Irving, point to him, you know, last, what was it, October, right before the season, you know, he tells the... I'll stay if you'll passes, have me. Yeah, I'm all set, I'm coming back. Well, until pen goes to paper, it's not official. Well, and, the, the and, great thing, you know, the, the great uh, conspiracy that I love about the Kyrie thing is he said, I'll stay, I'll be back if you'll have me, or I'll stay if you'll have me. And then he tanked it so much that the fans don't want him back. So you'd right, be like, well, right, you don't yeah. want me. So I'm out. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, you never know. You never know. And, and, uh, you know, good, good unions go bad quickly. And that's, that's a, uh, you know, transition to, 
the Rockets, who were talking about West teams, and and of course the report now that Chris Paul and James Harden can't stand each other, and their relationship is unsalvageable. And uh, hmm. curious to see where that goes this off season too. So Daryl Morey came out and said that Chris Paul will be on the team to start next season. Now, the take I love most about this is that you remember before we had this round of Rockets drama, there was a leak that the Rockets are shopping everybody and yes. they want more flexibility. Do you think he can make that statement? Because back at that first leak, he tried to shop. Chris Paul and no one wanted to pay $45 million in the last year of Chris Paul's deal. Yeah. Yeah. Three years, three more years of, of 120 million or something that he's owed with. Yeah. I mean, astronomical figures going forward. Um, and a guy who certainly seemed to slip last year. I mean, his game seemed to really hit the wall last year. He went from being really still pretty good to just being a little better than average. A guy. Uh, He was a guy. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, the explosiveness was not there. Uh, he was, I, I mean, he's always been injury prone, but he missed more time due to injury. Um, and when he was playing, he was not that great. So, uh, yeah, I think it's very possible. And and if that's the case, then, you you know, is it a situation where they just, they need to get these two together and D'Antoni as well and just, you know, like, figure it out. Like, you're you're going to be teammates. Figure out how to coexist. We've seen it before in sports. I mean, this would far, be far from the first team I mean, where the did, stars you, don't get along. Here's an example of two MVPs who played together who couldn't stand each other. Barry Bonds choked Jeff Kent right. in the dugout, and they hit right. back-to-back in the batting order for the Giants. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Shaq and Kobe hated each other, and they won three titles and, and got to a fourth finals. Um, you know, and now they're all kumbaya. They love each other now, but they didn't when they were playing together. Um, you know, so it's, it's happened before. Um, but, you know, Chris Paul's a difficult teammate, obviously, um, because everywhere he goes, by the time it ends, I mean, Chris Paul has a little shack to him. By the time it ends at that place, no one's really sad to see him go. They weren't really sad to see him leave the Hornets. They definitely weren't sad to see him leave the Clippers. And it seems as though the Rockets is bound to end the same way. Um, and, you know, while we both love James Harden, it is fair to ask, uh, you know, James Harden did not coexist well with Dwight Howard, also a guy who hasn't coexisted well with others. And now it's apparently not, you know, so you wonder, like, is James Harden starting to get that rap, too, of being maybe not the easiest teammate to play with? I hope not, but you wonder about it. Yeah, well, when you're the guy who keeps winning and finishing second in the MVP race, you're allowed to be uh, difficult. Just ask I Kobe. Agree. I mean, <laughs> I agree. I agree. I mean, you know, and, and somebody, I can't remember who, somebody said that, like, you know, somebody needs to tell Chris Paul, like, James Harden is the MVP candidate and you are the you are the supporting actor. And that's true. But that's a hard lesson to learn for guys who haven't been the supporting actor their whole career. They've been the man. And I'm sure, you know, the, the athlete seems to always be the last one to figure out that they don't have it anymore. And I'm sure Chris Paul still thinks, well, I'm still a great player. I should be, you know, I should be the man on this team. And that changed last year. You know, I mean, when he was out that long period of time, that was when Harden went on that scoring run. Mm-hmm. And and I wonder if that had a little bit of a an effect. I haven't heard that, you know, theorized, but Harden went on that historic run of 30-point games, mostly while Chris Paul was out. And they also were started to win more while that was going on. 
and you wonder if by the time Paul came back, was like, uh, we really don't need you. We're, we're just fine without you. Well, Tom Haberstroh tweeted out a stat that was part of a broader story he wrote about how how rare it is for Paul or Harden to assist the other guy. <laughs> like, and I'm sure that's probably true. Yeah. They, they each have, you know, pretty good assist numbers, but their Not assist numbers other. for each other is like one every 60 minutes of game yeah. action. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, it was, it was a fit two years ago when they got Chris Paul and, you know, Harden had had such a good year the year before. I think he was runner up for the MVP playing point guard. And I remember when they got that, when they made that move, and I remember thinking, I don't understand this. That you know, you're you're taking away what Harden did so well by bringing in a pure point guard in Chris Paul. Well, for one year, it worked really well. But it, but I wonder if if some of that, you know, some of what I thought initially has come to pass now. That you know, the ball the ball needs to be in both of their hands for them to feel like they're most effective, and there's only one ball to go around. When we talk about what ifs and ASU's James Harden, you set me up to transition to talk about ASU beat writer Doug Haller's what yes. ifs football column. Yeah. Um, I want to start with the one that I found most interesting. Um, okay. Now, real quick, let's do this, but then we got to, I want to, speaking of ASU, I want to circle back to talk about our ASU guys for the draft tomorrow. Okay. We'll do that at the end. My my favorite what if is the Brady White what if. Because yeah. I believe that if Brady White doesn't break his foot, Todd Graham might stay the coach and yeah. Yeah. Brady White beats out Manny Wilkins if Todd Graham's the coach. Maybe so. I mean the, the one that the one that resonated with me the most of those four, and I think you probably know this, is the Oregon State loss. Because that, to me, that Oregon State loss was, we didn't know it at the time, but the program turned on that night. We And, and we'd gone from the highest high of the Graham year, which was beat Notre Dame, and we were in the top ten in the country. Number six, and, poised, yeah, poised and, to make the playoff. To, to at least, you know, get to the Pac-12 title game. And yeah, if we had won out, which we had four more wins to get, three more regular season games, we would have had to win the conference title game too. We would have been in the playoff, no doubt. Now, that's, you know, a third of the season still to go. But nonetheless, we were there. And and we lost to a team we should not have lost to. And it what it, what it started was the trend of poor play on the road. Uh, I think for the rest of Graham's tenure, if I'm remembering right, we might have won one or two games away from home. Um, I mean, you know, because the, the rest of 2014, we lost at Arizona. 2015, I think we won one road game at UCLA. Mm -hmm. um, 2016, I think we might have won one road game. And didn't we win at I, Utah? We did. We won at Utah in 2017. Right. That was that was the the and that was the only con. I mean, I think we might have won one conference road game per year after that. Well, that's not enough. I mean, you know, you're not you're not going to get much done when you only win one game away from home in the conference because at most you're going to have six conference wins. That's if you have five at home and you sweep all of them. Um, and so it just kind of set a bad tone. And, and that to me is the one that resonated, but the Brady white one resonated with me too, because you know, you wonder what would have, what would have come of that season? Not even just with Brady white have beat now Wilkins the next year, but 
we, you know, we were five and one. I mean, that was the night you were down here mm-hmm. and, and, you know, we, we were, we were riding high. We were five and one. We just beaten the golden boy, Josh Rosen. Knocked uh, him out of the he, game and effectively yeah. ended his season. Yeah. Basically he didn't play again the rest of the year. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, our defense was, was playing, I mean, that night, especially it was like, wow, this defense may not be too bad. Um, they were getting better and, and yeah, I mean, and then it just all fell apart. I mean, that was the year that, you know, we didn't win again. We went from five and one to five and seven and it ended on that embarrassingly poor effort in Tucson. And yeah, I mean, you, you do wonder, could, I don't think that team would have gone on to win the conference or anything if Brady White stays healthy. But could they have won two or three of those six games? I think so. And instead, we we had to rush Manny back, and he was well. We not we played ready. a a not ready DSC for a right. game and right. got beat. Right. Manny came back against Colorado and was not even close to to being what he had been before. Had no mobility, um, which we learned. We learned yeah. a lot this past you know coming into this season when Haller got kind of the yes. in-depth Manny Wilkins honesty, you yes. know, interview where yes. he's like, yeah, I was hurt. I shouldn't have played. And no, they told me no. to play. So I played. He came back too soon. And it was, uh, I think somebody was it, was it, uh, was it Jordan Savoni or no, he, he was talking about the Oregon state. Somebody was, was quoted in that story. I believe is saying, you know, they wouldn't have had to rush Manny back basically mm-hmm. acknowledging they did. Um, and they did. I mean, the fact is that, you know, our only option was, a, was a very, raw true freshman and Dylan Sterling Cole who was not at all ready to play he was he came in as a project and was expected to redshirt that year and sit behind Brady White right right I mean Dylan Sterling Cole might not be ready to play Pac-12 football this year we don't know that yet but certainly in 2016 he was not and and so it's uh yeah I mean that that one certainly looms as as a big what if, uh, because, uh, you know, could that have been an 8-4 and four team, 7-5? and five? Probably. We make a bowl game. And then Graham doesn't go into 2017 on such a hot seat. I mean, that, that year put him squarely on the hot seat because I believe, I will always believe, Ray Anderson wanted to fire him that year but couldn't because of the money. And that's why, unless we had won the Pac-12 in 2017, I don't think he was getting out of that year. And then he almost did because it was such a he bad South. <laughs> right, right. You know, and, and that's it, that was the last of those what ifs was, you know, the UCLA game in 2017. Again, a, a road game. Um, and, I mean, and, and there's another one that I he didn't mention. He didn't go back this far. But, he, you know, his first one was Vontez Perfect coming back, which to me, I didn't. I, didn't, I don't think it would have made any difference at all. I, uh, I don't know. think it would have made a difference. I think Vontez would have been thrown off the team. I think it would have been like Junior on Yaley. He just wouldn't have been on the yes. team anymore. I, I don't think it would have. The one I would have gone to from 2011, you want to go back that far, was the UCLA game of 2011. With Dennis Erickson, we you know we were in position to win the South. Um, and we gave up a fourth and 29 on defense, and then Alex Garut misses a field goal that would have won the game anyway. Uh, you know, who knows? That, that team could have been in the Pac-12 title game. Could, could Erickson have gotten fired anyway? Possibly. Um, but boy, I mean, the number of, of road games you can point to for this program over the last decade and think, boy, if that one had gone differently and it was so close to going differently, like we're not talking about games we lost by four touchdowns and saying, well, if we'd won that game, these are heartbreakers. 
and and there's been too many of them and and that article pointed out a couple but i could think of some others yeah look being an asu fan has been generally unpleasant in football (laughs) certainly from home big picture big picture it's been bad there are specific instances of glory beating beating ucla to clinch the pac-12 south was an amazing game when when Carl Bradford jumped up yeah. and picked off the screen pass and ran it in for a touchdown, yes. I remember where yes. I was. That was a yes. huge moment. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, that was what that was a big road win, and we don't have very many of those to call back to. That's why we probably remember it so well. Is that in our you know fifteen years of following this program, there haven't been a lot of of signature road wins. There's some pretty good home wins. You know, we, we beat Notre Dame. We beat Washington when they were top five. Um, you know, we beat USC a few times at home. But signature road wins, it's it's that UCLA game, and it's probably the, the Hail Mary against USC, um, the, which was the next year. And that's about it that I could think of. I mean, a few games in Tucson last year's obviously was a great one to win. But, you know, you, you got to beat a program of some consequence to have it be signature. And, you know, Arizona – quite honestly, was not a program of consequence last year. Yeah. That that game last year was was great as a fan. Doesn't right. really bolster the program at all. It, no, it certainly, no. if you look at the in-state recruits for 2020, it certainly didn't sway anyone to come no. stay with us. And it, and it almost certainly doesn't. I always think that stuff is overplayed. Like, you know, if you want to go to Arizona, you're going to go to Arizona. And if you want to go to ASU, you're going to go to ASU, uh, you know. Um but yeah, I mean that to me is is the is the thing I guess that if we're gonna go through this, you know, there's so many. I mean, it gotta go back to the tw- the 2010 season, the loss at Wisconsin and the loss at USC, which were both by one point each on missed extra points. That was the difference. We missed an extra point in both games, and that team finished what six and six. And I mean, you know, with with those two wins, which were easily winnable. That's a whole different season. I mean, it's just there's so many of those you can you can go back to and say, man, if you just could have won that one game or gotten one extra point, literally, how different the season might have been. Yeah. Let's circle back now to the NBA draft and Dort and Cheatham. Yeah. Yeah. Um, SI, one of their entities, the crossover, said that Zylan Cheatham is the potential steel sweetheart of the undrafted. Uh, something to okay. that effect. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm hoping he doesn't go undrafted, but he certainly, he, he's borderline. I mean, he's, he's a guy who's going to have to wait until deep into tomorrow night to hear his name if he hears it at all. The Athletic had him undrafted. I have seen him mocked yeah. uh, in the 50s in other yeah, places. Yeah, I, so, I don't yeah, think which, there's going to be a Carrick Felix level stunner where he's the first guy off the board in round two. I wouldn't think so. And now, I mean, you never know. Pre, you know, draft projections. Once you get outside the top, you know, five to ten, you never know. I mean, if there's there might there could be a team that high in the second round loves him and well, thinks we got to get him. And that's you know, the, I mean, that's it, the thing with the second round is yeah, nobody you know everyone cares, and there are these gradations between. One and two and two and four and four and eight. Sure. And, but sure. when, the difference between 33 and 60 in the NBA is basically is not much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, would it would it totally shock me? 
if he went off the board in the thirties, no, but uh, you know, probably more, more likely he's, he's a late second you know, or undrafted, but I agree. I think he's a guy who will have value. I mean, he, and, and, and that athletic story this week that Seth Davis put together, which was the, the one that kind of caught my eye with the various, you know, scouting reports on basically like the top 60 or 70 prospects. Uh, you know, somebody said, like, as long as he realizes what he is, he's going to be very good. He's not a shooter, you know, and he's probably never going to be. He's not a he's not a three point shooter. But, um, you know, can he be a guy who who can play 10 to 15 minutes a night? grab you some rebounds, play good defense on anybody on the court, inside or outside, handle the ball if you need him to. Yeah, I think he can because he did all that stuff here. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, well, and he can, with him. He can finish around the basket, and if all yes. he needs, all he needs is to become 25% from three, just yeah. something respectable where you can't just leave him alone. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, he's got a savvy for the game. He's a good defender. He's a good rebounder. Like it, these two are very interesting to, to have coming out at the same time because Dort's the guy who you could see possibly blooming into an all-star like high end. He could be an all-star. Cheatham's probably not high end. Cheatham is a, is a role player. But if, if you ask me to put, you know, right now, say, you know, put, put a hundred dollars on which guy is going to be in the NBA in four years, I'd take Cheatham. I think he's a safer bet that he'll still be on a roster. Like, Dort could flame out. Dort could be an all-star, or three years from now, we could be like, uh, where is he, and look him up and find out he's, you know, playing somewhere in, you know, Israel or something like that. Dort, I think what you'll see is if he doesn't work, the next time you'll hear from him will be, you know, the 2024 Olympics yes. where he's playing for Canada as <laughs> yeah. the backup yeah. to, you know, whichever, yes. you know, young Canadian point guard. Yeah. There is. Yep. Yeah. Because, because I just think, I guess the difference is that you feel like with Cheatham, you know what you're going to get, you know what he could do and you know what he can't do. And can he get a little better? Sure. I, I hate when people, you know, play this game of like, Oh, this guy's 22. He's a finished product. That's insane to me. But you, you kind of know what he is as a player. With Dort, you really don't know. I mean, you, you know he's athletic. You know he's got size for the position. But outside of that, I don't know what you know. Do you know he's going to be a good shooter? Certainly not. Do you know he's going to be a great ball handler, point guard type? No. Is and he going to be able to finish around the rim? Unclear. I haven't seen it. Yeah. And and this, you know, the, the rep on him that he's a great defender, I don't know about that. Like, he in... in Bursts, he could do it, but we were not good defensively as a team. Now that's not all on him, but still, if he was this unbelievable lockdown defender, I think we would have seen that more. And he wasn't. You well, know, does, and, he, does and, he have the athletic ability to do it? Sure, but he hasn't proven it yet. Well, and if you ask any ASU fan, who do you want? I, regardless of position, who do you want on ball as your stopper last season? It's Cheatham. Cheatham. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And. And and we did it. I mean, it, the Arizona game here that we came back to win was because they made the switch and put him on. Um, can't remember the guy's name now. The guy, uh, the guard for Arizona, Coleman, Justin yeah. Coleman, um, which tells you what that Arizona team was last year, I guess. Well, I and how about? Names. But in the Kansas game, they, yeah, you know, they put Peter him on Lawson. the center. 
you know? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, so, yeah, he. that's what I mean. He's a guy who he's going to have value even if that, even if he doesn't score a single point. He can be a, a value player in the NBA for his defense and his rebounding and his ball handling. I mean, you know, you saw it when, when Remy Marr was hurt earlier in the year. They basically played him as a point guard. And he had a triple-double. Yeah. Granted, against bad competition, but still, like I mean, he's a well-rounded player. He's, you know, he's not going to be a scorer. Uh, I mean, he's just no. Um, but he will. He will that, fly but. to the basket, attack the rim. Right. You're not going to find a better character guy out of college than I him. I agree. I agree. Um, yeah. I mean, I just, I just think he is. He is a safe bet. If you're a, I mean, if you're any team, but certainly if you're a, if, if you're a playoff team in the second round and you're thinking, you know, boy, can we get a guy who's minimum salary, not guaranteed contract, but maybe he could be, you know, uh, somewhere between our 11th and 14th man. And if we need him to play some minutes, he could play some and he'd give us something. He is exactly the guy you want. And, and Dort is not because is Dort, I, I don't see Dort being a contributor in the NBA as a rookie, not even close. No. He is a guy who's going to take some time, and maybe three years from now he could be good, but not right away. But Dort's going to be the kind of guy where you, you almost are going to need to give him, and he's not at the same talent level at all, but give him the Trey Young treatment of like, yeah, go, make your yeah. mistakes, like, you know, shoot, figure True. it out, True. you know. But in all likelihood, that's going to come in the G League to start with. I mean, where he's going to get drafted, I would, I would be willing to bet. He's going to spend a fair amount of time in the G League next year, and he should. That's what's going to be good for him. Like he, you know, he gets drafted in the twenties. He is not a, a guy who's going to be ready to play minutes for a playoff team. So he needs he needs to go to a team that can say, you know, go to go to Austin, go to Rio Grande Valley, go to Yuma or wherever, Northern Arizona, or, you know, whatever team he ends up with, and and just just play. You know, learn to shoot, learn learn to learn to you know be a professional. And, you know, basically we'll see in a couple years when then we're going to expect something out of you. Yeah. And there is a model for that that we talked about with Van Vliet. You, yes. You know. Yes, there is. Yeah. I mean, the one I always go back to, and he's a Canadian kid too, is Corey Joseph. Well, you know, came out as a freshman, out of Texas, was, was you know, pretty good in college, but not great. And he got picked at the end of the first round of Spurs, took him. And for the better part of his first two years, he played a lot in Austin. And then he became a pretty solid contributor for them. And, and since he's, I think he went to Toronto, now he's with Indiana. He's become a, you know, a pretty good NBA player. Not an all-star, but pretty good. Um, that, to me, is, is the path that Lou Dort needs to take if he's going to be successful. But for every one Corey Joseph, there's probably five guys who don't have that and they, they just kind of wash out. I think that Cheatham could have a Jeff Pendergraft-like career in the NBA. Yes, Yes, I agree. Yeah, and and maybe longer, you know, because the, the way the game is going, positionless and all that type of stuff. Uh, I mean, you know, like it sounds crazy, but could I see Cheatham becoming a guy at high end who's like a a defensive stopper? Um, you know, maybe a borderline starter. Yeah, I could. Now, again, I don't expect that, but I I really could. He's got he's got all the ability to do it. I think he could. I think he could model his game after a post Sixers Iguodala, um, yes, yes, or a broke man's Draymond Green. 
you know, I was going to make the comparison to Green. Now, he's obviously not as good as Green. You know, I mean, Green, Green, first of all, in college was, was a, you know, All-American. Yeah, you know, but yeah, somebody like that. Now, again, Green's, Green's an okay outside shooter. And that's, uh, you know, if Cheatham's going to become what I'm saying, the high end, that's what he's going to have to become. Yeah. I don't know if he can do that. But he I'm could be sure. the kind of guy who is defending your center, grabs a long rebound, pushes it himself all the way to the basket, and yes. scores. Yes, you know? yes. I mean, I, you know, again, I, obviously you and I have a bias here because we, we watched him play a lot this year. And, we you know, a lot of these guys I didn't see play at all. Or I, or I saw him play maybe once or twice at the tournament. So, you know, I can't really compare him with other guys of that range. But I just feel like he is a guy that, that could be – if given the right fit and, and you know, the, the right spot to start with, because it matters so much for guys unless you're a top-level pick. Where you start is huge. That um, could be something. And like I said, I, you know, to me, he's the safer bet to make it in the NBA. And by make it, I mean, you know, four years from now, they're on a roster. Yeah. I think that he could have a nice career as a bottom-of-the-rotation and we're resting our starters. You're playing 35 yeah, minutes. Yeah, Got yeah, yeah. I agree. I mean, you know, his his um, trajectory will probably be judged by can he develop some type of shot? Because um, if he if he cannot shoot, that's going to make it hard for him, no matter how good he is at everything else. Um, but if he can develop just like you said, just a just an average shot, then there's there's no reason why he can't be at the very least a you know, eighth or ninth man off the bench. And I believe from everything I've read and from what I've seen that he's going to work on it. Like he's not yeah, the kind of person who's going to rest on his laurels. He, no, he, does not he will do like whatever yeah. you ask for. Yeah. Yeah. Which I am not as confident about Dort. Now that's not to knock Dort, but you know, it just, you just don't know about that with him. I well, mean, he's, it, he's younger, it, he's let, immature, you know, like, is he going to put it It's always work? come to him. Yes. Like, that's yes. that's the difference. And I think we saw that in the Pac-12, which is why I think in that Seth Davis piece that you're talking about, the scout said, I thought he'd go back. Because yes. it wasn't easy for him last year. I, he, no, it was not. He was the Pac-12 freshman of the year, but on some level, that might be an indictment of the Pac-12 and Bull Bull getting so. hurt. <laughs> yeah, you know? I think that, and I think... I think he, he also, in a way, he won that, you know, before Pac-12 play started because um, he got a lot of buzz in the first, you know, month of the season. And and I think, you know, nobody else really emerged. And so he won that based on a little bit of reputation. Uh, I mean, he had some good moments. It wasn't like he stunk. Oh, no. But, and I'm not saying that either. But I, he had the kind of season where 15 years ago you would think, Man, put him and Remy back together next year. We oh, got a real backcourt. Going. No question, no question. Yeah, I mean, he is. I mean, we talked about this over the course of the year. That you know, when we were kids, you would have never even thought about him going pro after his freshman year. Wouldn't have even been a consideration because there would have been what, what are you doing? But that has changed. And again, the, the G League and that type of thing has has changed that dynamic completely to where now it's it's almost viewed you know as a black mark. If you stay in college for more than two or three years, um, if you're a touted prospect, and he was, then it's like you know what's wrong with this guy, you know. Uh, and so you you go when the opportunity's there, and, and if he stayed, 
you know, could he have, have had a great year and moved up the board like P.J. Washington did at Kentucky? Maybe, but that's really hard to do. You don't see that much. Most of the time, guys stay, and they end up getting picked later than they would have otherwise. Yeah, well, and the track record of guys who are touted coming out, I mean, Nasir Little was very bland this year, but yes. but he was the number six high school player in right. the nation, and... And he's probably going to go in the lottery. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of hype that, you know, if he goes back to North Carolina and has another okay year, then people are going to be like, well, maybe he's that guy and not the guy guy we saw in high school. It's the the same thing that we saw with uh, the kid who was injured last year, Porter. Um, Yes. You know, well, he was the number one player in high school and we didn't see him. So might as well draft him in the lottery. Well, yeah, I mean, look at um, the last, you know, 24 hours or so. There's been all this talk about this Darius Garland kid from Vandy. He played in five games last year. So so we didn't really see his flaws. And maybe he's going to be really good. Who knows? You know, but, but we don't know. But it's almost like he froze himself as a prospect out of high school. And now I'm like, wow, this guy's really good. Like, we didn't, we didn't see enough to know whether he really is good or not. And we're falling in love with it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree. I mean. It, it made sense for Dort, you know, you know the the scout who said that. I, I I kind of agree with his point, and yet I don't agree that I never thought he was coming back, never, because the way the the way the game is now, the way college and pro interacts, it made total sense for him to go. Because if he had come back, he probably would have played, you know, similar to this year, similar role, and then it would have been like, oh, this guy's probably a second round pick if that. Yeah. Well, and it's also, I mean, the writing was on the wall when we got him, and, and one of his reasons for coming was, well, Bobby Hurley's going to let me yes. handle the ball, and that'll show my NBA right. skill. Right, which he really didn't do that much ball handling. I mean, he did some. And that's, well, that's, uh, the, yeah, the indictment like, of him and his ball handling is what you were talking about with Cheatham. When Martin got hurt, they didn't just yes. shift Dort over. No, no, no. I mean, like, you know, he played some point. But he didn't really show he's a point guard. Like, he'd bring the ball up at times. But, but he would he also didn't. then keep the ball. <laughs> yes. He did not show an ability to start the offense and put guys in the right place. And, you know, now he can develop that, sure. Uh, but that's why I say he is just tremendously raw. Like, tremendously raw. I mean, if you're taking him, you are banking on, you know, two to three years from now, he can be something. Uh, if, if you're taking him with the thought that he's going to be a contributor next year, you're, you're going to be disappointed. Well, since I know that basketball insiders listen to us the same way they listen to Dunked On, Locked On, and uh, the Low Post, <laughs> uh, take Zylan Cheatham in round two, maybe yes. pass on Dort, let him be someone else's headache. Um, we'll be back I, to, I, look, to... I hope he goes in the first round, I should say. like I, I, I want him to go in the first round, and I hope his career turns out good. I'm not at all you know, rooting against him. I just, I just think it's a long-term project. Well, we'll be back to talk about how much of this we got wrong, uh, not just post-draft, but over the course of their careers, hopefully. <laughs> That's right. Uh, That's right. Yeah, we'll see. But until next time, he's Matt. I'm Ben. It's the off-season of things we care about because it's pre-All-Star break baseball. Uh, this is the Ben and Matt Sportscast.